Hello. Oh. Hello. All right. Well, thank you for letting me be up here, I guess. The last time I was asked to teach, it was in um it was at Trackside. A grand total of zero people showed up. So this is like huge. I mean, Christina was there. <laughs> Lori was there. Um, but they were there to set up, not not so much for me. So, but I, I appreciate every single one of you. This is like a significant turnout for me. So already winning. Um, I also I was a high school teacher. I'm used to speaking in front of like teenagers. So I'm just gonna pretend you're all teenagers and this is gonna go well. And if that doesn't work, We'll just hold up Sam like Simba, and I'll just pretend like I'm talking to a two-month, three-month-old. Okay. Um, I'm going to start with some prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for giving me the opportunity to be here to speak. I did not think I would be this nervous, Lord, so I am asking for your power to, that is made perfect in weakness to cover me and that your grace will fill in all the areas that I'm just going to not do well in. So I thank you, Lord, for your goodness and for being here with us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so um, we are going to talk about Noah and the flood today. <laughs> and in the booklet, I did not follow Priscilla's instructions that she gave me, and I started from the very beginning of Genesis, and it wasn't until this week that I was like, oh, I started verse 9. And so I get to skip a couple parts. Um, before we, oh, thank you. Before we jump into it, I want to really quickly talk about the validity of the Bible, because this story is, it's kind of, um, like unbelievable almost, right? I had a coworker, a colleague who used to say, oh, Lisa likes mythology, she reads the Bible. And I know it sounds like, what, why would you say that? But let me think about it. You have like some, you have this like sea that splits in half, right? That sounds crazy. And then you have some dude who sits in a lion's den and he doesn't get eaten, not even a scratch. Same dude dancing in fire and he doesn't get burned. And then you have a valley of dry bones that comes back to life, like muscles get put on these bones. Like it sounds not real. And so if any one of those stories are not real, it discredits the entire thing, right? This book that we consider truth. Now I think for most of us as believers, we hold the Bible to be God's word. It is true, so there's no question about it. But maybe there are some here that uh, the Bible's new to you. It was new to me when I was, you know, searching for God. And so um, just real quick, I want us to think about something that we all experienced together, right, at some point in our life. Maybe Ashlyn, who's not here, and Brittany, who's not here, were toddlers when it happened, but they were alive. I think every single one of us, minus Sam, was alive to experience September 11th, a tragic, horrific day, right? We can think about what we were doing, where we were, and if we piece together our stories, there may be some differences, but the crux of it is gonna be the same. Like the, the actual event of what happened will be the same. And so if we take that 
Um, and even if you were to look at different perspectives from other countries of what they thought happened on 9-11, you'll hear a completely different story. People in Palestine, I heard an interview, they thought Osama bin Laden was a hero because he defeated or he went up against the giant that is America. And so different cultures will have different perspectives as well. And so take this one experience we have and let's apply it to the flood. One of the assignments, I know it's kind of weird, or the deeper reflection was to go on Google and to, to search ancient flood stories. And if you did that, then you would maybe find a list of um, ancient flood stories that happened, right? There are over 200 different flood stories. And they're slightly different depending on where you're coming from. But that's because maybe there's different gods that they believe in, different culture. And so some of the stories may sound a little different, but the crux of it is still the same. There was this huge deluge of water that came, wiped everything out, and some of these stories say it's because of wickedness that was on this earth. And with oral tradition being, or history being passed down by oral tradition, these stories get passed from one generation to the next, to the next, to the next, and then sure, some of it gets lost also in the process of being passed down. And so we have a whole bunch of different stories about the flood. And to me, that gives credit to the event that happened. And I wanna jump ahead, but the event that happened, the next major biblical event that happened was the Tower of Babel, when God dispersed everyone and changed their language. So if everyone did experience this flood at the time, and then God had them disperse, maybe when they passed down the events of the flood, it may have changed over time, who knows? I'm not a historian, but I think the fact that there's so many different variations of a flood story points to some validity of this event actually happen, happening. And there's some written, um, like the Epic of Gilgamesh is one of the oldest um, manuscripts or pieces of literature found, and it's written on cuneiforms, stone tablets, and it talks about this flood. And so we have some actual tangible evidence of um, this ancient flood story. Okay, so let's jump into Genesis then. I'm going to start with Genesis um, 11, verse 11. It says, Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I've determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. So as I was reading this, I mean, it's clear God was pretty, pretty upset. It grieved his heart, it says earlier, that, that he even made man. They were so wicked. And so he decides to destroy them, and he gives Noah some instructions. Go make an ark of gopher wood. So I thought, what is Gopher. I don't even know if it's gopher or gopher. I'm going to say gopher and you'll know why. But um, so I looked it up. I'm like, what does it look like? Does it have pretty, you know, patterns in it? And it uh, turns out there is no gopher tree. It is only mentioned in the Bible. And so I said, okay, well, I mean, there goes that search. So, oh, what does pitch mean? Is it like, I always thought it was just when I read this, the, I don't know, dozens of times that I've read this, I just skimmed through and I thought pitch was like tar, covered in tar or something like that. So I, I decided it was the Holy Spirit saying, look up pitch. So I look up pitch, 
And um, can you click two times? Pitch in Hebrew is derived from the word kofer, which sounds a whole lot like gopher, right? I mean, I'm not a scholar, but it sounds similar. And it's derived from the word kafar, which has multiple meanings depending on how it's used in context. The literal term of kafar is cover. So the literal meaning of kafar is to cover. The word kafar is found 102 times in the Old Testament. 73 of those times, it's used in the figurative to mean atone or make atonement. So if we go back to this, I see your, your like wheels are turning, Lori. If we go back to what God told Noah, make yourself an ark of coffer wood, make rooms in the ark, and cover it inside and out with pitch, with this atonement, because it's about to go down, right? He's about to wreak havoc on the world, but I want you to cover yourself with this atonement. And it's only the word uh, pitch is only used this one time. The literal term of cover is only used this one time in Genesis throughout the whole Bible. Other times, it's um, the figurative form of forgive or to make amends or appease. But the, the idea is that God is going to, or uh, the shame is going to be covered. Whatever sin you've done, there would be amends for it. Okay, so that's how this you, the word is used. Okay, so if we go to the next slide, um, this is my too long don't read version of Genesis 6, 15, all the way through chapter 7. Essentially, it's summed up in one sentence, which is, humankind was so evil, so God destroyed it with a flood. That's pretty much what happened. If you read through the next, like this whole section, you just see God's wrath. He's angry. He's like, he, water comes and washes all humankind, creation, trees, everything. He washes it all away. Okay, so if we read the very end of this section, uh, chapter 7, verse 21 to 23, it says, And all flesh died that moved on the earth, birds, livestock, beasts, all swarming creatures that swarm on the earth, and all mankind. Everything on the dry land in whose nostrils was the breath of life died. He blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the ground, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, they were blotted out from the earth. Only Noah was left and those who were with him in the ark. So everything's gone, except eight people and a couple of wild animals, right? In chapter 5, we learn that Noah was 500 years old when he had his sons. And his sons and their wives entered onto the ark. So we know that these sons are now older. It says in the Bible that, uh, the flood happened when Noah was 600. So somewhere between 500 and 600 years old for Noah, God instructed him to build this ark. Okay, and then Noah's family was in the ark uh, for approximately one year, whether that's a, a lunar year, some scholars say, maybe a solar year, it doesn't matter because roughly both are about 350 days, right? And Again, don't want to jump ahead, but in the Bible project, it says that Noah got plastered after the flood, remember? Um, he was in this ark with eight people and wild animals for like a year, 
okay? Two years into the pandemic, Total Wines, BevMo, probably their shelves were empty, right? I'm not gonna fault the guy for having a couple drinks. I probably shouldn't say that at church. <laughs> I might not be invited back, sorry. Okay, so if we move on to Genesis 8 though, this is where things kind of turn around a little bit and you see sort of that tender heart that is God. Okay, in the very first verse of chapter 8 says, but God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him in the ark. And God made a wind blow over the earth and the water subsided. So here, when, when, whenever it says that God remembered, it's uh, in a way that's sort of um, like a tender, when you think of someone and just fond memories, that kind of remembrance. That's usually when it, in the Bible it says God remembered. It's because there's a fondness that God has. And so he, he remembers Noah. I think of it like sometimes I fill my water bottle and I turn on the faucet and I walk away. And then, I, then, then all of a sudden water's all over my counter. Like maybe that's what the flood was. Maybe God turned on a faucet and he walked away and he's like, ah, and then he turned it off. Who knows? But he shut the water off after 40 days and 40 nights. And even then, Noah had to wait and wait and wait and wait and wait for the waters to subside. And then even after he landed on the mountaintop, he had to wait and wait and wait and wait for before he could open, you know, this cover. So the very last verses of Genesis 8 um, is now when Noah and his family and the animals get to walk out. And it says, Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man. For the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. While the earth remains, sea time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. And so here God's compassion starts to show in this chapter. Okay. And what I want to do next is spend the next 15 or so minutes talking about three different creation stories. Okay, so we did a real quick summary of um, the flood story. And what I wanna do is focus on the three creation stories. So the first one we have already gone through, the first two columns we've already gone through are actually creation and flood. So creation is Genesis one, the flood we just kind of talked about and you read about. And then the last one is when Jesus comes. Now, if you're not familiar with Jesus's life, the best way I could put it is like when you watch a movie and there's different plots in the story, and at the end when the movie all comes together and all those stories come together and you're like, oh, dang, I wasn't expecting that. That's Jesus, but like super more epic. <laughs> so the entire Bible has snippets of Jesus throughout. And then when he comes, it's like this, oh, no way, that's what that was. And so I want to take a look at, um, sort of compare these three creation stories. The first one, when, when God made everything in Genesis 1, it all started with, like, sort of chaos. There was no order to anything. There was darkness, right? Um, 
nothing around. But we do know that there was water because in the second verse, it says the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. You can go ahead and click the first one. Thank you. Um, so the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the water. So we know that the spirit was there hovering and we know there was water. Okay, but there was no order to this water. It was just kind of chaos, right? Moving wherever it wanted. But we know that God is a God of order. He is not a God of chaos. And so it was as if the spirit is hovering over the water and deciding, let's put some order to this. Let's, let's make it make sense. And so he starts to create things, right? He goes through the six days and creates things. And on the very last day, what Jenny said was, well, I guess the Bible said, but it was very good. And that was his um, culminating thing that he made. And it was humanity in the form of Adam. And he told Adam, go be fruitful and multiply. That was the command. And so if we take a look at what God used to make this creation. There was water there, and he made flesh, right? And he made man. And the hope was that there would be a sinless world, living in harmony, paradise, but of course, sin entered, and so we went from a sinless world into something that was corrupt. And because of that, there now was a curse on man, on woman, on the serpent, on the ground, and they were banished, no longer in freedom, uh, paradise. Okay, and so the humanity that God made, that God made, eventually returned to chaos. And it was this way until Noah's time. And we started off knowing that there was wickedness in the world. So in the flood, when we take a look at it, there's again this image of water. And in, um, I think it's 2 Peter, 1 Peter, I wrote in the thing, it says, Peter writes that the flood was like a baptism, washing away the wickedness, the evil. Okay, so now we have the earth completely filled with water again. There's chaos once, a more, once more, and in Genesis 8, when things kind of turn around, the very first verse says the wind blew over the earth. Now, just like kafar has multiple meanings, the word wind in Hebrew can mean either wind or spirit. And so here we have this image of perhaps the spirit hovering over the water again, looking at the chaos and creating order out of it, second time around, version 2.0. And this time it's in the form of Noah and his family. And he tells them again, go make disciples. I'm sorry, go and uh, be fruitful and multiply. And again, it's uh, water is there and flesh, man, right? Man has to now go and um, repopulate. Now, the reason why God chose Noah was because he was a righteous man. He didn't earn his spot in the ark, but God found favor upon him. He was a righteous man, and the hope, I think, was just to start from righteousness, and maybe his children would lead to a world that was more righteous than what it was. But of course, Noah is a descendant of Adam, and there is still sin present. And so the righteousness eventually leads to, yet again, a world of corruption. And so then humanity returns once again to chaos for thousands of years until Jesus comes. And so here, in the very last one, we'll, we'll see that there are some changes that happen here. 
right before Jesus or during Jesus' time, he had a, uh, John the Baptist was a prophet who told people to go repent, be baptized, right? And so Jesus goes and he gets baptized. Not that he had any sin or anything, but he, he went and kind of sort of led the way. He got baptized, and as he was coming up out of the water, it says in Matthew 3.16, and when Jesus was baptized, the heavens opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. So yet again, we see this image of the Holy Spirit hovering over Jesus, who was in the water. Okay, And the chaos is not so much, Jesus is not the chaos, but the chaos is the wickedness that is surrounding, the wickedness that's in the world. But there's a new creation that forms. No longer is it a creation of flesh, but now we are being asked, when we give our life to Jesus, we are being asked to now, um, it's a recreation in the spirit. So the difference here is that it's not water and flesh. It's no longer water and flesh and man. It's water and the spirit working. And so the, the command now is not to go and be fruitful and multiply and to just make more flesh. The, the goal now, or the command, is to go and make disciples. It's no longer about this earth. It's about pursuing the kingdom of heaven. And what Jesus did was he took a corrupt world and he gave us opportunity to become righteous through redemption in the sanctification that happens in us every single day, making us more and more holy like he is. We are promised the Holy Spirit that does this for us. And no longer is, I mean, the wages of sin are still death. But now we have the promise of eternal life with God. And the one thing that I think is often missed in these stories is that God's mercy was present in every single one of these. So if you took a picture before the mercy part, I would say take it again because that's the culminating thing here. In the creation story, God's mercy was there, but it was so like fine print. All this stuff is fine print. When Adam and Eve walked out of the garden, they tried to cover their shame with fig leaves, right? Or some sort of plant, right? They covered themselves. And, uh, and God said, mm, that's not going to work. And he ends up sacrificing an animal. He takes their skin and he says, hey, I'm going to cover you. I'm going to cover your shame. Now, you did that. You're supposed to make you know, atonement for it. I'm going to do that for you. I'm going to cover you up. I'm going to cover your shame. In the flood, God tells Noah, go make a pitch. Cover every room inside and out with pitch. Cover yourselves because I'm about to, I'm going to wreak havoc right now. And I need you, this ark here is going to be the thing that covers the shame of this world. And in the very last one with Jesus, the wooden ark that was meant for the atonement is what the wooden cross did for all of us. God covered every single one of us with Jesus' blood that was shed on that cross. It now protects us, shields us from the sin of this world, and 
in all three of these, God, if you look closely in it, you'll see that God was present in his mercy. I think it's so easy to see the wrath that is in the Old Testament, right? I sat next to someone on the airplane two weeks ago, and he saw me reading the Bible, and so we started chatting, and he said, yeah, you know, like, he, uh, he said his faith was Zor- Zoroaster. It's like the oldest religion or something like that. But anyway, he said, I, I really like that Jesus prophet guy. He seems nice. But the Jewish God, whoo, he sounds mean. And I said, yeah, you know, like it can come off that way. But if you dig deep, you'll see he's actually a God that's full of compassion and mercy. But the thing with God is that you've got to dig, you know. He's not a surface-level God. And he's the same way with us. He wants to get to the heart of matter, heart of the matter. And if we look at God's heart, he's got mercy all the time. He's going to cover us even when we sin all the time. And so a couple of questions to think about for the discussion, better questions than what I put in the booklet. Um, in the midst of life's chaos... How do you see God's mercy covering you? And as God offers mercy to you, is there someone that you can or maybe need to show mercy to right now as well? And he did it before 11. Yes. And that's it. So everyone's excused. <laughs>